It is, arguably, one of the greatest chapters in all of Scripture. It can be found right here in Romans, chapter 8. And it is where we begin a wonderful look at this amazing chapter. Join us. The Ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, this is Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Today we begin a wonderful look at an amazing chapter in all of Scripture. Paul lays out this amazing view of the gospel, how great God is, how bad we are, and how marvelous he is to provide the the answer through grace, salvation in Christ. And then he hits Romans chapter 8. What is the response to all of this? Well, that's what we begin our look at today here on Graceful Truth. Won't you join us? Pastor Steve Converse now as we begin our introduction to Romans chapter 8. You can turn in your Bibles over to Romans chapter 8. Today as we come to the 8th chapter of Romans Uh, Yeah, finally finished with chapter 7. I want to start a little series, Free at Last, No Condemnation in Christ. Okay, that's an exciting uh, title, but it's also a very exciting chapter. This chapter in the Bible has been called by some to be one of the the greatest chapters, if not the, the, the greatest chapter in the Bible. Now, personally, I feel you get on shaky ground when you start declaring certain chapters of of God's Word the greatest, uh, because it might be greatest for you today, but next year when you're going through something different, another chapter might ring true to your heart, and that might be the greatest. So you have to be careful with that. But nonetheless, I remember what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said one time um, as I was reading one of his messages. He said, for the preacher, the greatest book of the Bible is the one that he is expounding at the moment. Amen? I mean, that's that's very important to to keep that in mind. Uh, But obviously, as you have probably read through Romans chapter 8 several times, you understand uh, what I'm talking about. It's just a wonderful chapter. Charles... Uh, Trumbull, he was an editor who's deceased now of the Sunday School Times. He wrote this about Romans chapter 8. He said, The eighth chapter of Romans has become very precious to me, beginning with no condemnation, ending with no separation, and in between there's no defeat. This wonderful chapter sets forth, he goes on, and says the gospel in the, and the plan of salvation, the life of freedom and victory, the hopelessness of the natural man and the righteousness of the born again in the indwelling of Christ and the Holy Spirit, the resurrection of the body and the blessed hope of Christ's return, the working together of all things for our good, every tense of the Christian life is addressed, the past, the present, the future, and the glorious. The climatic song of triumph. No separation in time or eternity from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
There was an old commentator, Philip Spinner, who said this. He said, if the Bible was a ring and the book of Romans was a precious stone, well, then chapter 8 would be the sparkle point of that jewel. And there's a lot of commentators that agree, and most believers agree. And the Bible's an interesting book because even though the book offers the good news of salvation from sin, amen, it also is a book that presents the bad news of condemnation for sin. John MacArthur said that no single book or collection of writings on earth proclaims so completely and vividly the total desperate situation of man apart from God. I know that in my own life when I've come to Romans chapter 8 over and over and over again when maybe I've been discouraged or depressed. I mean, I don't know how you can read this chapter and still be depressed, (laughs) to be honest with you. It's just an uplifting chapter of Scripture. If you're struggling with guilt today, beloved, I want to tell you, read Romans 8. If you're struggling with sin, read Romans 8. If you're going through trials, tribulations, read Romans 8. If you're struggling with your prayer life, if you don't know how to pray, read Romans 8. If you're struggling maybe as a believer with the assurance of your salvation, read Romans 8. What's interesting about Romans chapter 8 is the flavor of the whole chapter is kind of one giant exhortation. But when we read through it, you're going to notice something. You're going to notice that there's not a single command in the chapter. And I'd like to point out before we read the book... The chap, not the book of Romans, the chapter 8. We'd be here all day. Um, chapter 8. We just finished Romans chapter 7. And in Romans chapter 7, we saw the personal pronoun I. Very prominent. Paul constantly referring to himself. I, me, over and over again. We saw where the law was very prominent. That sin was dominant. Now, when we come to chapter 8... The one thing that sticks out, and you'll see it and you'll hear it as I read it for you over and over again, is that the Holy Spirit is very frequently mentioned almost 20 times in this one chapter, more than any other chapter in the New Testament. God's grace, His preserving love are prominent. And you know what? Victory over sin is dominant. There's a lot of different ways you can outline this chapter. Some people say verses 1 to 13 deals with justification and sanctification. Verses 14 to 17 deal with us being adopted, our adoption. Verses 18 to 30 deal with our glorification. And verses 31 to 39 deal with our assurance. But I just want you to know that as we go through this in the coming weeks, we will see transformation in our own lives, because of the power of God's Word. So turn your hearts to God's Word, Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to read the entire chapter just to keep it in its context, and then we'll just basically, hopefully, get to the first verse as we do some introductory uh, stuff today. So Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh market cannot please God. You, however are not in the flesh, but are in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give to your mortal bodies through his spirit who give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Verse 12. So then, brothers, we are not debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing For the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. And obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but even we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirits groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes in what he sees. 
But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Well, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Now we can go home, right? Almost. Now, that's kind of the overview of the whole chapter. Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to pick this apart. Like I said, we're just going to spend a little time here today. But next week, we're going to get basically all the way into verse 4. But we have to remember where we're coming from in order to understand why this chapter is such an incredible chapter. Remember in chapter 7, what were we dealing with? We were dealing with the believer's fight with sin. Okay, that war within that new man in Christ trying to uphold God's holy law. But because of our flesh, because of indwelling sin, sometimes we are held captive by the law of sin, as Paul says. And there are times in our lives as believers we want to do what's right. We know what it is to do that's right. But somehow we end up doing the very thing that we know is not right. The thing we hate, the sin. And when we looked at Romans chapter 7, 
We talked about a lot of controversy, who is talking there, and we believe that it's Paul. I'm a simple person. I read it. It seems like Paul wrote it. I think he's talking of himself. And I think he's talking of himself at a very mature point in his life where he can truly understand the power of sin in his life and the difficulty and the struggle that he has with it. That takes a mature Christian to admit that. When someone first comes to Christ, man, they think they're going to go out and conquer the world. They're just ready for everything. You talk to them three weeks later, ah, I'm dealing, still dealing with this sin. I thought this would go away. No, you'll have that sin as long as you have your body. We won't be free from the presence of sin until we are glorified in his presence. So it's a struggle that we have. So sin and guilt are always part of the believer's life. Hopefully less frequently as we mature in Christ. But nonetheless, nonetheless, it's going to be there till the day you die. And so Paul, in the flow of Romans, is presenting the truth of justification by grace through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's what we've been studying for the last year or so. And this whole book is dedicated to explaining the meaning of our salvation. The meaning, what does it mean to be saved by grace through faith? And we started out in the first three chapters, you remember, and we spent many, many weeks, months, defining the sinfulness of man. And I kept on having to remind you, hang in there. Good news is coming. Right now it sounds like a desperate, horrible time. Every time we come and, boy, we're just dealing with sin and sin. Hang in there. And so we see that taking place throughout those first several chapters. And then starting just near the end of the third chapter, salvation began to unfold as the only solution to this horrible blight of sin. This horrible disease that every one of us has been hit with. Since the middle of chapter 3, right through the end of chapter 7, there has been a very careful discussion that we've had about the matter of salvation. And it all comes to a kind of a climactic peak right here at the beginning of chapter 8. Now we said the main, the main kind of topic here in chapter 8, person you might say, is the Holy Spirit. And I think that we need to spend a little time here and, and share a little bit about this third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. He's mentioned nearly 20 times in Romans chapter 8. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians know very little about the Spirit of God. I mean, they get it. You know, yeah, he's part of the Trinity. But there's actually a theology called pneumatology that's the study of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to share with you some notes that I scribbled down from MacArthur and others that talk about the Spirit of God. And just to kind of put it in its proper context, I think that if we just kind of forge ahead and go through this chapter and not understand, well, who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is our in, is to our spiritual lives what the creator is to the physical world. If you didn't have a creator, we wouldn't have any. We wouldn't be here, right? Without God, without the creator, the physical world would not exist. 
And without God's and Christ continuing to sustain and uphold the world, it would literally just crash and go out of existence. That's the thing with scientists. They say, you know, we, we, we believe all this stuff about evolution, but when we get down to the, the atom and we get down to these things flying around, you know, why don't they just go? What keeps them all together like that? Colossians tells us it's the power of Christ. And one day, he will let go. <laughs> Luckily, I don't believe we're going to be here, praise the Lord. But when he lets go, there's going to be devastation. Without his continuing, sustaining, upholding power, the world would literally just fall apart. It's doing a pretty good job on its own, I have to say. But In terms of spiritual dimension, without the Holy Spirit, we would have never been saved. We would have never been recreated to who God wants us to be. Remember, salvation is not addition. Salvation is not you changing your ways and adding a mantra or adding a list of things that you have to do to your life. That's not what salvation is. Salvation is transformation. Salvation is you giving up and saying, okay, that's it. It's over. And God recreating you into whom he desires you to be. Without the Spirit's power, we could not have been recreated. We could not have been transformed. We could not have been saved. Without His sustaining presence in our lives as believers, where would we be? I think we would crash right back to the spiritual deadness from which we came. We need to be reminded that the Holy Spirit is a power that God uses in our lives every moment. To encourage us, to comfort us, to convict us. So the Spirit of God is very important when it comes to a believer. It's who gave us life. And it's through whom that life is sustained spiritually. Now, the Holy Spirit is not an influence. The Holy Spirit is not some power. He has power, but he's not a power. The Holy Spirit is a person. So when you refer to the Holy Spirit, never refer to him as it. Think if your husband, when talking to friends, referring to his wife, referred to her as it. That would not be very flattering. He would be in a lot of trouble. That would not be good. So we don't refer to the Holy Spirit as it. We always refer to the Holy Spirit as he, because that's what the Bible refers to him as. As the third person of the Godhead, equal to the Father, equal to the Son, in deity and in personhood and in personality. But when you study your Bible and you start to look up the Holy Spirit, you're going to find a lot of things about him. You'll find that the Holy Spirit possesses mind, the Holy Spirit possesses emotion. The Holy Spirit possesses will. That's what makes him a person. He knows the deep things of God. The Bible says that he loves the saints, that he makes decisions, he speaks, he prays, he teaches, he guides, he commands. The Bible says that he fellowships, he comforts, he may be grieved, he may even be quenched. And you know what? You can even lie to the Holy Spirit of God. He may be tested, he may be resisted, he may even be blasphemed. 
And all those things make him a person. And this is Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Closing out our broadcast today, we're mindful of the fact that you may have questions about the broadcast today. A couple of ways to deal with those questions, A, obtain a copy of the message in its entirety and review it at your convenience, or B, simply get a hold of us here at Grace Bible Church. Now, the best way to do either is to give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that number is 650-366-9923. You can also reach us online, gracebibleonline.org. That's gracebibleonline.org. If you're looking to visit us, we have services at 10 a.m. Sundays, and we're located here in Redwood City. Directions and details can be found again at our website, grace-bibleonline, or by calling 650-366-9923. Hey, let me ask you, what do you believe Can you summarize it? Are you ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you at any given moment? If not, or maybe you would just like to be refreshed or encouraged in what we believe as Christians, then you need to sign up for this year's Equip Conference. It's happening this September 14th and 15th. Join Mark Spence, Andrew Rappaport, and Dr. Anthony Silvestro for a Friday and Saturday conference that is designed to equip you 